gentlemen welcome back to the woody allen podcast retrospective i'm doing here with my co-host in disguise the master of assholes of all time simon rad welcome back everybody this should be good three movies for the price of one finally a bargain <laughs> so, well you know what people are probably looking at a title with this one and thinking this isn't a solo woody allen directed movie what are you guys doing well guys you know because we're covering so many woody allen movies sometimes we want to take a little break and this isn't just about Woody Allen the filmographer, it's, it's about his other little ventures. We've spoken about movies that he didn't direct, like Play Against Sam and The Front. We like to see what he was doing in the wider world of film. And this is interesting. And as well as that, we actually want to speak about something that actually happened very recently with Woody Allen. He did a Facebook Live interview. So because the movie we're going to talk about with Woody Allen is kind of short, we thought we would talk about that little movie and the Facebook Live and have a little just a free-form discussion. So this is a and bit When you more... say we, that actually means you fought that and told me five minutes ago. But yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's mix up the content, Simon. Doing movie reviews all the time can be a bit boring. And you know, actually, funny you say that. People always say to me that they wish you were doing something else apart from the Woody Allen retrospective. But you've been on plenty of other podcasts. But Hey, I, I, I do a lot of other things. It's just I get paid for those, yeah. <laughs> exactly so guys before we get started again if you were following our retrospective or if you weren't you can check out the last discussion we had on one of woody allen's most popular movies crimes and misdemeanors that's like number four on the top woody allen movies apparently i i i'm not going to dispute that but anyway check out the discussion and go back <laughs> to listen to us talk about that because you know what, what's the point of us arguing that point again we already did that i won't call you stupid to your face but nah. Anyway, guys, don't forget we've got a website in development called WoodyAllenRetro.com and we're going to have, well, we already have a link up and running, but the website isn't done yet. We do these as podcasts. Up to this point, we've nearly done 20 movies past. We're coming to the 90s right after this movie. So, guys, if you haven't checked out all our previous reviews, click the description down below because I have a link there to all the other recordings. We're moving forward to this movie here. I'm going to let you take it away, Simon, as you usually do. But, um, yeah, this is definitely a free-for-one movie. And, uh, yeah, we're going to go back and forth with this one, Simon. So why don't you tell us, Simon, what this is and what this is about? Okay. So this is the last one. Really, really, I promise. The last one from the 80s. 89, same year as last week's movie, uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors. And it's called New York Stories, and it's a compilation film. Now, if you remember... In the 80s, a lot of directors were killing it at the box office. You know, Spielberg, James Cameron, um, uh, George Lucas. And they were involved in a lot of things. This was the decade where the director became a a, a full-blown star. Kind of like in the Hitchcock era, Hitchcock himself, where you could put your name on anything and basically sell it and make it a huge hit. And there were these other really critically acclaimed directors like... Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola and Woody Allen himself, who were in that realm of respect and had a strong fan base, but they didn't really make these big commercial movies. You know, the big blockbusters of the 80s. They were kind of uh, closer to art films and Oscar movies. So studios try to figure out, okay, how can we get these guys and use their name and their fan base 
to really launch something for a little bit of extra money. And since Spielberg was doing compilation stuff like uh, what was it the the remake of uh, or not a remake but a reboot of uh, help me out here was Twilight Zone the Twilight Zone compilation remember that I do I didn't even know he was <laughs> I was thinking of Stephen King for so I was thinking of I was thinking of the miniseries when you said that so I got lost there oh they they did stuff with his name as well but basically long story short. That was the background of New York story. The idea was that these three guys, Woody Allen, Martin Scorsese, and um, Francis Ford Coppola, get together and each direct a segment with the linking theme being that it takes place in New York and it's a story of New York. So Scorsese did what he does best. Uh, yeah, well, I'll stop you there. Let's say, let's talk about each one at a time and go back and forth what we thought about it. I was leading up to a joke, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see the joke. Then. I'm not going to edit it out. We're not going to edit today. So what was your joke, Simon? Nah, you fuck. Squash the sh- fuck you. <laughs> you ruined it. <laughs> Good. It you know how many like... times you've ruined jokes of mine? So I think it's my turn to fuck you over. So oh, man. I, w- I was going to say the score says he did his thing and did a, a, a movie from the point of view of an artist, Francis Ford Coppola, who... After Apocalypse Now, needed some recovery, did a lighthearted kids movie, probably inspired by his own daughter, also set around New York. So we have the artist view of New York. We have a child's view of New York. And then Woody Allen just made a Woody Allen movie and said, who gives a shit? So that was the big joke. Okay, now can you move forward? That wasn't funny. It was just a moment. You ruined the nah, setup. Nah, nah, nah. It just wasn't funny, Simon. Don't, don't, I'll pat you on the back when you get, but this one was it, was, it was just an observation. You know, it was just real. And I would argue the point of view that Woody Allen just made a Woody Allen film, but let's start at the beginning, like you said, with the first movie, which was done by, isn't Martin Scorsese your favorite director of all time anyway? One of, one of. Very consistent. And again, he's the best thing about the piece because mm. it's called, let me get this, Life Lessons. And it's a story of a painter played by Nick Nolte, who's a, sort of in this uh, creator's crisis, I guess. Writer's brog, but only f- for a painter. And Rosanna Arquette plays his assistant slash troubled girlfriend slash roommate who's an up-and-coming artist herself looking for approval. And Nick Nolte's character basically depends on her for inspiration and has this mixed feelings of Bummel when he's desperately in love with her. The other moment, he's sort of manipulative and just looks at her as an object of inspiration. And it's boring. But Martin Scorsese directs the hell out of it. And there are a lot of interesting camera angles, camera tricks, different pans, zooms, zoom-outs. Basically... If you're a Tarantino fan, you could tell he took a lot of directing cues from this little segment where it comes to tension and intensity and camera work. But the story is, and even casting Steve Buscemi who has a small role in it. So uh, yeah, he's, the- he's funny. And you know what, Steve Buscemi, you, you always think he's got the face of an old man, but you see him right now in his, <laughs> in his young prime. When he was young, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's very different. Wow, I can't believe this guy was ever young. <laughs> and he's being this pretentious performance artist you know oh yeah i mean it, it's a it's 80s artistic new york with performance artists left right art galleries presentations everybody's super self-obsessed it's an interesting enough setting but aside from a few moments it, it's quite dull i mean you know where it's going the best thing about it is the direction and i think scorsese was smart to take the opportunity to tackle this non-commercial subject matter just because it was just a short film packed in with two other movies so you could afford to do that if you're a fan it's worth checking out but that's how that you know i love the direction it's just the story is very 
I agree with you. And, you know, this whole tortured artist and his apprentice, especially when he's lost and over, you know, it's been played out to death in so many movies. I can't even name it. It right is now. a classic tale in yeah. an age setting. The only but thing. Rosanna Arquette, you know, one of the great actresses of her time. I was going to say that. And, you know, she has some, you know, one or two little saucy scenes there. And I thought you would appreciate it because she's a real looker. You know, she's quite gorgeous. But her whiny voice, and tell me I'm great. Just tell me. In the... Hey, Putin. It's like Mr. J. Yeah, I just exactly. Her Harley Quinn. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, honestly, it's just passe. You've seen it done a hundred times. And I will. Uh, is it the best out of the three? No, I, I, I like the Woody Allen one more, which I'll get to later. But it, yeah, everything you said, I kind of agree with. The only thing I like about the movie is just this this short this short film, short movie, whatever we call it. This segment has a has a exchange in it, which I think people need to realize. Which again, you you've heard in a lot of other movies, but you know when a girl's asking, just tell me if I'm good, tell me if I could draw, and then he's like. You know, it's not, I'm paraphrasing, it's not a fucking choice. You do it not because you want to, because you have to. You know, you're an artist, you do something because you have to. Well, why the fuck are you asking me this shit? You know, if you really were asked, you just fucking do it. You know, and again, this is something that people need to understand. I guess you get to points in your life where you wonder, is it worth doing? But people that are, just do. You know, that's how I see. I'm a podcaster. I don't make shit off YouTube. I do this with just, I'm not doing it because of money. I'm doing it because I love to hear myself talk or I want to put something out there. Mm -hmm. And I agreed with that shit. I was like, yeah, you know, some people, even 20 years later, 2017, they just don't get it. They're asking for approval. They want attention. They want to be fed or told if they're great. And, you know, ultimately it's just like, look, man, just do what you love. If you don't, why are you doing this if you're seeking approval? Which is, I'm blowing, I'm making a small thing to a big thing, but I just liked hearing that in the movie. A little bit. Yeah. That's true. That's a good line. But overall, to summarize it, you know that song by um, Prorok Haram? You know, uh, White Shade of Pale? Not by not by you saying that. I might not if I hear it, but yeah, what, what is that? If you picture Nick Nolde painting, you basically saw this movie. Because that was like... 20 minutes of it just that song on repeat and nick nolte painting his ass off yeah. anyway yeah let's move on well no. the reason why i try to pad that out because the next 45 minute movie done by the director of the godfather the, the, the francis Ford Coppola. i can't even say his name off the time coppola. <laughs> coppola coppola yeah that last part i get wrong coppola life without zoe as soon as the intro starts the intro sequence with this hip-hop song life about so we did it da, 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 da. very 80s i was like what the yeah. fuck is this and but well, keep in mind he also directed captain eo in this era i know and, and you know i'm not trying to pigeonhole directors they shouldn't just stick you're free to create whatever you want but this is this is like a kid's segment and i know this is called new york story so we're getting flavors we're getting an adult you know an adult story first now we're getting the kids when they get woody allen's one next but this whole story, which honestly, I've, I haven't got that much to say. It was boring. It was, t by today's standards, culturally insensitive because there's a big part where there's these Arab dudes doing these really predictable silly things. And it's just about this rich little young girl who her parents are rich enough and one's a percussionist or a composer or flute player or whatever. And the other, is her, her mother is a, just a rich whatever and she goes to school on her own <laughs> i know what you wanted to say <laughs> yeah well she's a rich girl who her butler takes after her she goes to school with her rich friends and she's like 12 or 11 years old and it's bleh the whole thing is bleh 
and I just fell asleep. It's fucking boring. And, the, you know, I'm going to jump to this bit right now. The reviews, the critical feedback on this particular segment were scathing. People absolutely thought this was horrible of the three. This is obviously just a complete, I don't want to say train wreck, but I don't know what he was going for with this. It's inspired by his daughter. Look, I w- recommend watch the the documentary of the making of apocalypse now like what the dude went through when shooting that movie i'm not surprised he took a break and then came back and tried experimenting with all these different subject matters and this little segment from the intro pops on makes it very clear this is a kid's film now me personally it just highlights that the concept of new york stories was more forced by the producers than these three guys trying to make something like i feel like none of them really cared about making something specific for this film it was more convenient to do three short films and release it this way because this has nothing to do with new york this could take place anywhere where there's money and children that's the only two components for the story it's very reminiscent of a father trying to direct a movie from the perspective of a child so maybe he's like thought it was interesting how maybe his daughter saw their lives and their relationship with his wife and i don't know made a movie about it one scene was good there was a little bit of a heist in there and the camera work was really good in there but it just makes you wish he would be directing a different subject matter something that's more intense so yeah giant snooze i mean whatever it's skip before we get to the woody allen one i want to i want to just set the record straight with something Actually, this movie was made before Crimes and Misdemeanors, which I forgot. So we should have talk, spoke about this one before Crimes and Misdemeanors. And Woody Allen, his his segment, or his mini, this short film, which is called Oedipus Rex. I'm not sure what the Oedipus means. Oedipus. 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 The, dude, the dude who ended up shagging his own mom. That dude. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. Has the reason Oedipus Complex, where you're sexually attracted to the woman that gave you birth. I thought there was another, wasn't that? Anyway, I, what I want to ask you before we talk about this is, and obviously this applies to Woody Allen movie as well, you just said that you felt like this was more of a forced ideal by the producers. Now, especially with the Martin Scorsese, of all three of these, I'm going to ask you now, do you think these could have stood on their own as movies? Uh, obviously, there's not enough meat on any of them to be a featured movie, but do you think any of these separately, taken individually, could have been its own movie with obviously some added elements there? Hell no. Life Without Zoe probably could have been a kid's film. You know, you throw a dog in there and Kevin Bacon. Maybe, you know, a little cameo by uh, Marty McFly. Have a, that crossover with Back to the Future. I don't know. Because it's so straightforward. But uh, the Scorsese one, Life Lessons, is just very focused. Because there's hardly any plot there. And it's a classic tale. So I, I couldn't really see that as its own movie. And the Woody Allen one, which we're going to talk about go, now. Go for it. Tell us what it's about and we'll talk about that. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, again, it's not bad. I mean, it, it's entertaining. But again, it, it's not really a New York story. Woody plays an accomplished accountant who still falls close to his previous on-screen personas. He sees an analyst and he has uh, mother issues. <laughs> He's dating a character as a, who's a fiancé. Played by Mia Farrow, of course. His real-life partner at the time, yes. <laughs> yeah. And this is another uh, little warning signs from Woody that he might be contemplating divorce. Because, basically, the story of the film is he has a troubled relationship with his mother. Can't get over it. 
and kind of wishes to, to create a bit of a distance, get her out of his life. They go to a magic show, and what do you know? The woman disappears, his mother, that is, and suddenly things turn around. But then something crazy happens, which is where the movie kicks into its sci-fi gear, and then it turns out that maybe his mom wasn't the person that he needed to remove out of his life to find happiness. Does that make sense? And that's basically it. Okay, well, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper because there's honestly, this to me was the most enjoyable part of the part of the, the trilogy for a whole slew of reasons, man. And I want to say that this... <laughs> it is have... funny. It oh, is there's, funny. oh, there's tons of funny parts. And I'm going to be a bit random. Where else are you going to see like a 45 second scene where Woody Allen is staring at a piece of chicken? <laughs> I don't know if he ever does a KFC commercial. <laughs> you know, that scene where he was looking at the chicken and he was having an epiphany that this woman made this piece of chicken for me. She is the one for me. You know, I, 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 if you're on YouTube, I'm going to put this on the screen. I think this should be memed because the way he's staring at the chicken so intensely, can't you see this is actually one of Woody's most focused acting parts in his whole filmography the way he, he was my, he was the best thing again i i really enjoy him when he goes serious and here he plays it straight throughout the whole movie so keep this in mind as well at the time he was in a run of the most serious drums he'd ever made this is basically the comedy that broke that breaks that cycle so people you know I think they were like, hey, would you come and do this this part of this movie? And can you give us a comedy flavor? And this is pure comedy. This is just played up for laughs. The scene where his mother is getting knifed. Do you see the look on his face when they put in the box? He's, he's like, yeah. It's a little bit scary. He he <laughs> is proper sociopathic. He's just, they're grinning like, yeah, stab her ass. Yeah. yeah, he's got the biggest smile on his face. And then, you know, when she leaves and when he's out of his life, he's just so... And the reason why I like this movie is because it's playing to the whole homage. Where, and to be honest with you, this this part of this segment, what do you focus on, is a stereotype. You know that the Jewish mother who nags and talks about you and embarrasses you, and seeing this grown-ass man deal with that is that's ridiculous on its own. But seeing that play to an extreme with Woody Allen, it's kind of like, huh? If you look through Woody Allen's filmography, the last movie he had, the, there's only two movies that he's actually referenced his parents like this, and that's the first movie, Take the Money and Run. And another movie, which is very similar, Zalig as well. These two movies that focus is nagging parents. But this one, I thought it was interesting. He played to that very stereotypical comic idea of the nagging Jewish mother. You had a, you had a bit of that in uh, Annie Hall when, uh, the, you know, the location where they grew up under the roller coaster was a big part of it. And uh, uh, you had a bit of dialogue in Hannah and her sisters where, you know, you always called the dad where the dad was like, if I'm dead, who cares? That's true. I'll, I'll be either unconscious, and That's if not, true. I'll deal with it then. Oh, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, this is a very thin joke. It, you know, 45 minutes even is a bit stretched. But I thought it was I thought it was really odd to see 54-year-old Woody Allen playing this mother thing. And To be fair, he plays a 50-year-old in the movie. Oh, well, close enough, 50, 54. And, you know, the... The, t the big twist was after she disappeared, which I thought it was going to be about guilt. But when she appears in the sky, she's, you know, venting out all the embarrassing them to the world. I thought that was, the, you know, a very good idea for comedy. Oh, yeah, that's another thing, people. Her, his mother becomes Galactus, basically. Yeah, yeah, spirit in the sky. And uh, there's scenes where the whole city stops. I mean, there's one particular scene where there's you got a whole lot of extras stopping traffic, stopping and, you know, laughing at him, looking at him. And I thought, wow, he didn't really need to go that far to be... Out of the out of the three, 
it seems like they put well actually the Zoe movie they were globetrotting a little bit so I think that the, these last two segments they put the most money into it but this is the one that I enjoyed the most kind of dies in the end because it you see where it's going and it's funny you just said that that it was him not picking the right woman well him picking the right woman which makes his mother come down I don't really like that as basically the lesson of the movie you know make him unhappy you know, she'll torment <laughs> you. know, there's a, if you don't make him unhappy, she'll torment you for the rest of your days. And then, you know, by the end, he's like, oh, you know what? I really love my mum. I'm like, no, no, you don't. She's a nagging bitch. And now she probably will hate her in a year. And then you'll have the same problem again. Look, man, I enjoyed it for what it was. And I like it when Woody does these kind of larger than life with a dash of fantasy elements like he did in, um, uh, you know, the cinema movie and Zaylik, you know, just... Just adds a little bit of fantasy into it, and then it's a whole other movie. Could this have been its own movie? It could have, but it probably would have needed another subplot in the middle. People, I think people would have enjoyed this at the time, just because, like we said before, at this time in his career, he was doing those intense dramas that nobody liked. And this was his first return to, to form in terms of comedy. And I'll be honest with you, Simon, I'm sure you won't be surprised by this. Nobody really watched this movie. Well, well, I'm a shocker. Didn't this outgross Indiana Jones 4? Or, sorry, Indiana Jones 3 and Batman? I thought this was the grossing movie of 89. Well, here's the problem. They place us at the end of the three as well. And I don't know, maybe because Martin Scorsese was at the height. I mean, he <laughs> People was... just walked out after the second one. They were yeah. like, I screwed this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, the Die Hard fans will stay for this for the Woody Allen element, but I don't know, man. I think... It would have been better if this was either the first or second movie. Just if you want to watch it for Woody Allen, it, you know this is this is another obscure one. Nobody even watches movie. We're just doing this more to fill out the filmography and it's kind of interest. Again, it's another one you, you're not going to go out of your way to watch. It's just a very small joke that expanded. And again, Woody writes all these little short stories. I forgot what newspaper throughout the years he'd always contributed to these little short stories to some certain newspapers. I can't forget which ones they were. And this is another one of those. Not exactly. I'm just saying. This is like a kind of a throwaway idea that he just contributed. And I feel like he kind of did this just to kind of break the chain because this is again before Crimes and Misdemeanors. He was in that drama phase. So to me, I don't know, to serve the fans, to do something a bit comedic. And to be honest with you, he put a lot of energy. He was actually acting. He, you know, it's not like he was phoning in. He actually seems kind of committed and having a good time. So, you know, I think it's interesting for that alone. But um, suffice to say, it didn't do well. People thought this was disappointing on the whole, even for a Woody Allen comedy. It doesn't have its own rating, but just the general consensus is that it's disappointing. And even for a Woody Allen comedy, it's not great. Yeah, this is, this is one of those movies that you learn about, that it exists. You're like, what? I can't believe it. You watch it once and then you never really watch it again. Maybe the individual parts. Like I said, Scorsese's direction is on point. And this giant mother in the sky is a funny comedic idea i mean you kind of forget how creative woody allen can get i mean one of his best comedies is and at least my favorite is um sleeper which takes place in the future i think it's always fun to see him play around with uh, sci-fi ideas and a little bit of fantasy and think outside of the box yeah that's what his whole early filmography was about breaking rules when that was considered innovative filmmaking but honestly in the 80s is the exact opposite it's more like being very commercial and making it bigger and better with more special effects so yeah. he's missing his audience but it's interesting to check out i, I, I don't want to disencourage people but that sure. that middle part life without zoe holy <laughs> holy shit uh, that nearly fucking broke, awesome isn't it 
I watched a movie, but I still don't know what it's about. I don't know how you do that. I mean, there was, there was something about something his dad dropped and they were trying to steal, but they didn't steal. And then they went to Rome and the end. What? I don't know. Yeah, I, I actually looked at Francis for Coppola, Coppola's movie, after, like his filmography after this. Uh, he, he was, he's been mostly a producer and a collaborator, but he didn't actually solo direct another well-known big movie, unless I wasn't looking. But I was searching to see, was this his last big contribution as a director? He did that movie, uh, Tucker, with, um, was it Jeff Bridges, I believe? I saw it, I, was, I didn't recognise it, so, you know. But, I mean, he made those movies, Apocalypse Now, Godfather 1, 2, 3. And, I mean, you know, he's got a legacy. And I understand, I do understand the thinking of this. It was an interesting idea. It's not the first time directors made compilation movies. You know, I can't think of another one to mind. I put something on the screen. But there's been a few of these over the years. This one, you know, interesting idea. Execution, iffy, you know. You always get that with compilation movies. I mean, sure. think of Grindhouse. Directors ah, always yes. think that would be weak on his own correct the perfect example so anyway let's uh let's end the podcast on speaking about something that's more um more recent now luckily that last discussion we had there about new york stories puts us in the 90s but we're gonna jump 17 years ahead to may 2017 where for the first time woody allen gets a bit into our times into our new times of social media where i forgot the um his interview i think it's bob Bob something, I can't remember his name, but the interview, I think he did one of Woody Allen. Nobody cares. What then Woody People Allen's... only want to hear Woody. They only want to hear Woody. No, this man. guy did Woody two other interviews with Woody Allen that was really good, but he got Woody Allen on to do an interview. And a lot of people were just surprised because, you know, you don't see Woody Allen much in a spotlight. You hardly ever do unless you go to see one of his um, jazz performances. But um, Woody Allen came and did a, a Facebook interview. And um, I wasn't going to speak about it to you, but... It was a very revealing interview and a lot of people were uh, upset with a lot of things he had to say because <laughs> he was very critical on his own movies in a way that he, he said things in passing over the years, but some people just thought maybe it's at the time. But let me tell you something, coming away from this interview, Facebook interview, hearing him just go at himself, he really did remind me of the character in Stardust Memories. I'm like, <laughs> he's acting the same. He acts like the same. This is him. Uh, oh, you mean the the person that's absolutely not him and by no means reflect his own actions or his own life and career? You mean that character, he reminded you of him? How is that? That person's supposed to be completely different and somebody, somebody completely different. Well, I'll let you start because you said you were kind of depressed by this interview. Is that right? I wasn't really depressed, depressed. He seemed depressed because... He didn't really have a lot of good things to say. <laughs> what, I, what I found very interesting that he's never happy with his films. I think that's why people are shocked. Like Annie Hall, he's like, yeah, that was average. Manhattan, he still can't stand that movie. He's like, I want to burn the film. <laughs> he's like, I hate it. Why did they play it everywhere? I begged them. I begged them not to make it. I told them I'll do anything to not play that movie. When I hear that, I, I just can't believe that. That's hilarious. Yeah. In fact, you and I just went to some random ass theater in my neighborhood. Some artsy hipster joined rooftop. What was it called? It's called the Electric Cinema. Well, it's a very trendy, uh, you know, very cozy cinema in Shoreditch. There's a few sets, not just Shoreditch, but it's a few all over London. There's about four yeah. or five locations. And what do you know? We opened the leaflet. And the first movie we see is Manhattan playing in June. 
I'm like, I guess Woody wants to come in and shoot up the place or close the cinema or file a lawsuit. That movie really is playing everywhere and he absolutely hates it. The only movie, actually he mentioned two that he liked. One we already foreshadowed with Matchpoint and the other one was The Purple Rose of Cairo. Yes. And then he bit his tongue. He wanted to say a third one. And I know that motherfucker wanted to say Stardust Memories, but he remembered because <laughs> <laughs> he was about to say, and, and you know, um, most of the times I just want to kill myself. But 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 sometimes I look up, up on the screen and I feel like, yes, that's what I wrote. That's what I actually envisioned. And I'm like, wow, I actually did it. And uh, there were only a few movies. And one of them was the start. I mean, let's talk about something else. You know what? Let me tell you something about this interview. And if you read the Facebook comments, I mean, people find it very entertaining because he's very brash. He's just, he's just very honest. And he is funny. He's a he, funny guy. He's a funny guy. And he went on a run. He went like there was a there was a part. He was kind of quiet in the beginning, but there was a part where he just spoke for like twelve minutes straight and never gave the interviewer a chance to even ask anything, which was cool. And most of that just had to. Do, well, I'll actually I'll get to that in a minute. All I want to first thing I want to say is, people were just taken aback by how. Well, actually, I want to go back to something you said in another review, which a lot of people... Ah, this, this, this feels like a Woody Allen movie. Are we just going back in time? No, I need to, because I want to kind of round this up. And what I want to say is one thing you said in the past, which people didn't appreciate in our comments, was that you called Woody, Woody Allen a volume filmmaker. And here's the yeah, thing. Because he made 50 fucking movies. Yeah, and he makes movies every year. But some people find that disrespectful. Well, what do you mean a volume filmmaker? He's more than that. But here's the thing. When you hear Woody Allen talk about his movies, especially in this interview, you really understand that Woody Allen is more enticed and enjoys the creating, poke, the creating, the writing, and the filming process. Once the movie is filmed and done, he just moves on to the next one. And he doesn't really like to think about it, doesn't like to revisit. And that's that's why I think you were kind of valid from calling him that, because he likes creating stories. That's what he loves doing. He's not attached yeah. to many. He just loves creating it. And the one that encompasses his writing vision the most, those are his favourites. Not the ones that we all worship and idolise, like obviously Manhattan and Annie Hall. He just thinks they're subpar. And, you know, the ones that match his vision, as I just said, those are the ones he likes the most. And... I can I actually understand that now and it's just kind of funny that you know his I don't want to call I don't want to call his four-way ideas but his just his afters things that he doesn't even think about anymore it's just so worship and idolized someone the guy asked him you know this is the 40th year anniversary of Annie Hall he was like eh eh he didn't care he did not care <laughs> And, uh, you know, that was funny, man. But you're right. I mean, he's not his own hype, man. He's a true artist. He yeah. he it's funny. Uh, Scorsese should make a movie about him. You know, I mean, he lives to create That's and he has all point, this you know. all, all this trouble with his muses all the time as yeah. well. But I don't know what, what, what people think. But once you listen to him for five minutes, you realize that this guy always has a very specific vision and is extremely self-critical. So when it can be what he envisioned 100 percent he's just gonna move on to the next project and focus on that yeah. he's not gonna relish in his past successes and trying to build himself up in fact every time himself was a subject of a question or the topic of the interview he became extremely critical he even talked down his own talents as a musician like his character from freaking uh, take the money and run. He said, complimented his band and that he ha has the pleasure to work with all these great musicians that help him, you know, perform and give a good performance. But he said that he was just there bothering people. People tolerated him because of the 
rest of the band was so good. And I'm like, this guy is really self-critical. And it really made me realize that when he jokes about being cursed with the gift of comedy, that is 100% true. This dude is not interested in anything else but drama. He has a very dramatic view of the world. He is not happy with a lot of things. And it's kind of a downer, actually. He's not Mr. Positive at all. Yeah. And honestly, I have to say, man, I'm I'm going to sound like some fanboy hipster. It kind of makes me like him more because the bottom line is he just doesn't give a fuck. And to cap it all off, man, what he went on this 12-minute tirade about is just how about his method and how he does what he wants. That was hilarious. The, the, the fact, I, I would have never imagined that that's how he works behind the scenes. Yeah. No input, no outside input. And it's so rare. I mean, I was trying to look at other... I mean, right now, you can be your own filmmaker and obviously you can do things yourself. You can finance yourself, which is extremely hard and you can be your own boss. But, you know, Woody Allen got in so early and built himself such a reputation that, I mean, he, you know, Woody Allen is, he is like the ultimate Kickstarter creator, the ultimate Kickstarter creator, because everyone's just waiting to fund him no matter what, because he has a legacy of quality and he won't compromise under any circumstance. He said that. And again, he's a volume filmmaker. You give him five years, he's going to give you five movies. If you just get one really good movie out of it because they're so low budget you probably make the money back immediately and you get a very high quality product which is why these new companies these new services like amazon love him because they all want critical acclaim that's what they're going for and the money he needs for to budget his films is change for these companies like a billion multi-billion dollar company like amazon that's what woody said that his films are you know they don't blink an eye if they flop because they're low budget don't do yeah because they're not they don't cost a lot to make and obviously he doesn't make any he actually made most of his bigger concept movies in the 80s and 70s now he makes just straight dramas with great locations obviously but you know they give him the permits they give him the access they give him it's a perfect setup and i know a lot of people will be jealous about it and i I know and i know a lot of people hate him because of the controversy which we'll get into in another podcast but he has a very unique situation which was earned and just listening to him talk now, he is a very, one of the most unique filmmakers for his volume of work, his quality of work, his unique circumstances, and his, and just his method. And just seeing him now, 81, even talking about like, hey man, I see people that are 61 that are like, can't even walk. And I'm just, you know, I'm still, <laughs> he is fucking hilarious, man. And I, 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 there's a charm to this madman, to this really creative, just, 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 Look, man, he, he honestly, I do think, and by the end of the, when we get to the end of his filmography, we will talk about if he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. I still think, I think he will be seen as that, even after he passes, because again, people are taking their bets if this is going to be Woody Allen's last interview. And I'm not saying that as to put any kind of, you know, cast on him or anything like that, but he is quite old, even though he seems healthy, relatively healthy. But even in this uh, interview, you heard him saying he's losing his hearing. You know, and he's getting to the age. Come on, man. I, I, I would be, I would be more than ecstatic if he lives to hundred. Hey, I'm right there with you. You never know. Maybe they freeze his ass and he wakes up in the future. He, you know, and he's kind of more. He doesn't want to live forever. He doesn't even give a shit about anything like that as well. So, but in summary, this was a, an interesting interview that kind of just reinforces a lot of the things that have been kind of. Um, gossiped about because people said a lot of this stuff he never he doesn't he loves his movies loves his stuff but like you said time he is super critical 
and hearing his pulses. This was a very revealing interview and a lot of people really, really enjoyed the wake up call. But as fans, just like with Stardust Memories, a lot of them felt betrayed. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the same people. Yeah, they should, they should have just watched the movie, man. Because <laughs> to me, it, it was hilarious. Like this guy, when he talked about that, his requirement from the studio is that the studio has to budget the movie and give him the money for the picture without reading the script. And then fuck off. Yeah, and then they and can't tell him who he's going to cast. So basically he said, studios are like banks. They give me a loan and I give them a picture. And I'm like, wow, can you imagine that? You walk up to a, an executive and you just take $20 million from him and they can't even read your script. But then he went on and started talking about how, you know what the most frustrating part is? You know, that all these guys, they think they know they know your job and they really don't. But they keep telling you how to do it. And I hate that and I won't allow it. That's why I came to Europe. And I'm like, yeah, you go, Woody. I mean, that, that is it's an amazing concept. And I think it would probably result in a lot more good movies if studios really work like banks. Yeah. They fund the movie. And they take a bet on you. But the more movies you make, the more solid track record you have, a.k.a. the loan they give you probably has a lower interest rate because you're a safer bet. And you can just do your movie the way you wanted it. That's kind of why I called him the king of Kickstarter. But to be honest with you, that's not even correct because Woody doesn't give you any prizes. <laughs> you don't get anything. Except oh, yeah, the you don't product. get anything. You, you, you can watch the movie, but it's like, you know, you get like a T-shirt or something. He doesn't believe in merchandising. <laughs> Guys, uh, that's pretty much it. I did want, I just wanted to comment on the interview because it's recent and, you know, we don't want to be stuck in the past forever. We are catching up, though. We're in the 90s, finally. And, obviously, guys, we're getting to a very crucial point in Woody Allen's career. And I'm just going to let you know, I'm just going to let you know now, I've decided that when we get to that point, and I'll tell you now, after Husbands and Wives, we're going to make a specific podcast talking about the Woody Allen controversy. And it's not for gossip. To be honest with you, to do a filmography on Woody Allen and to not address that particular part of his life, which basically colours his whole career, where even he said in a quote that this destroyed, this is going to destroy my career. It's tainted my He said it word for word. And now when we get to that point, I'll even bring the interview where he said that. To be honest with you, Woody Allen's controversy is one of the biggest Hollywood controversies of all time, especially the innards of it, of what actually happened. So I would be completely remiss... And it's my bloody podcast, I'm going to do it anyway. But I w I'm not doing it in bad taste because I know some people are going to be upset about it. But I'm just saying now, it's coming and it's going to be somewhat informed. I've already done a lot of research on it and I really, I wanted to have this podcast with some other people but they didn't want to get involved for whatever reason, which I'm not going to speculate on. But it's going to be me and Simon. We're going to get into it. Oh, wow. I thought I could skip it. <laughs> but that's fine. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's interesting. And honestly, it's a, bit, it's a part of film history at this point. And even more sadly... It's kind of relevant because a couple of years ago it came up again. So, you know, uh, but uh, not to leave it on the sour note, guys. Thanks for listening. This is another one of our longest ones because we spoke about, you know, free film, free mini films and a big thing that happened recently, Woody Allen. But I love to speak about my boy Simon Rad because he always brings a comedy and brings that unique perspective. So again, Simon, I want to thank you for joining me on this one. That's fine. That's fine. It's perfectly fine. I'm... I'm just glad I don't have to watch that life without Zoe again. Holy shit, it was bad. Never Come again. on, man. Come on, man. Never again. Yeah, never again. 
Guys, thanks for watching. Subscribe to the channel. Thanks for listening to us on the podcast. Means give us a like and don't forget, I'll put a link to the other retrospect if you want to see all the other stuff we've done on Woody Allen. And until next recording, I will say see you later. See you in the 90s.